Well, good morning, everybody. So good to be with you. And hey, check out the background. Alex and I are now samesies, except his is cooler because, you know, he has crosses and I just, I don't have crosses, but it's okay. Hey, you know, it's okay. It's cool. I'm not jealous. I'm fine. I'm content. I'm good. I'm good. Yes, no. Uh, anyways, hey, it is really good to be preaching with you, uh, preaching to you today. Um, let's open with a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you speak to us, that it pleases you to speak through your word, it pleases you to speak through each other, and it pleases you to speak through um, the, the act of preaching. So thank you. Be with us. May we receive that which you have prepared, and may you be glorified in all things by what we think, by what we hear, and by what we meditate. May you be glorified. Amen. So we're in a bit of a transition phase right now. Um, we're, we're coming out of either um, ordinary time in the church calendar or, as some would say, uh, epiphany. Eh, give or take, eh, whichever. Um, today is Transfiguration Sunday. It is the Sunday before Lent. Uh, the season of Lent is a time in which we reflect on sacrifice. It is a time where we focus on repentance. Um, We'll discuss later on, more closer to Ash Wednesday, you know, ways for each of us to practice it. Um, but we're, we're kind of, we're setting a time apart. It's about 40 days, and it's really reflective of Christ's journey himself to Jerusalem. And Transfiguration Sunday is so very important because it's such a high point for Christ uh, in terms of really seeing who he is, uh, seeing his glory, um, up until this point, he has been kind of going back and forth all over Jerusalem. Um, but after transfiguration, or his transfiguration on the mount, it really sets his journey for Jerusalem. Um, th the Gospel of Mark uh, can be broken down into various ways to try to find the, the narrative flow of the book as a whole. Um, and if you're looking at it, it can really be broken up into three different sections. You have Jesus in Galilee, and this would be verses 1 through chapters 8 through 21. And this section is really Jesus going around teaching what is the gospel. Um, he's validating the gospel in that he is healing people, he is casting out demons, and he is teaching. He va validates it then. And then once you get into chapter 8, verse 22, suddenly changes, um, it's at this time that Jesus begins talking about actively going to Jerusalem. And he starts talking about the, um, the persecution and the suffering and the, his own death. It, it has Peter's great confession. When Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. And then Jesus is very good, you know. These, he starts saying, I'm going to Jerusalem Peter's all like, hey, no, dude, that ain't cool. Like, you got to live. You got to be the Messiah. You know, I got to deliver our people. You know, I got to do cool things. And Jesus is like, no, seriously, get behind me, devil. Like, I'm going. And so it begins the next section in which Jesus is facing Jerusalem. From 822 on to chapter 10, verse 52, Jesus is going towards Jerusalem. That is his focus. The previous section is Jesus doing miracles, doing teaching. 
now in this part, he is going straight for Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on his mind. He's going up to Jerusalem. The next section is um, chapters 11, verse 1 through to the end of the book. And that is Jesus in Jerusalem. And that is where we see that Jesus uh, faces suffering, ultimately to the point of the cross, and he dies. Spoiler, he comes back. Um, hey, if you haven't read the book, I'm terribly sorry. Um, I know how you feel. I was reading through John, the Gospel of John, after going through the Gospel of Matthew, and somebody spoiled it for me and said, and they were like, oh, I love the resurrection so much in John. You're going to be wonderful. I'm like, what? Jesus dies in this one too? And they're like, yeah, he dies just like in Matthew, and he comes back. And I was like, whoa. Spoiler! So anyway, so if you haven't read Mark, I'm sorry that I'm the one who tells you, but yes. So to carry on, I'm, again, so very sorry. But it, ha it has been written for like almost 2,000 years ago. So if you, anyways, anyways, hey, I'm so terribly sorry for the spoiler, but yeah, Jesus is going to die, but he's going to come back. So it's okay. You can't get attached. He's essentially going to have like a Marvel death. He's going to die, but he's going to come back. Which, hey, if you have, haven't, if you just started Marvel movies, I'm sorry if I just spoiled something again. I am so sorry. I'm just full of spoilers. I'm the worst person. If you don't want any spoilers, you might want to stop this sermon right now or mute it and then come back later. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> just spoilers are coming out today. Anywho, let's get back to it. So the three sections. We have Jesus's mission throughout Israel, and then we break into Jesus heading towards Jerusalem, and then we have Jesus where he ultimately will die, but then he comes back. So just before the transfiguration, there's Peter's confession. This is intended, Peter's confession and transfiguration. So see, we have the Bible, it has chapters, it has verses. It wasn't written that way. When the original authors of the Bible were writing, they weren't like, oh, I'm going to put, then he said to them, truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God in power. Oh, ho, ho, ho. let's put chapter nine. That's a good chapter. Oh, let's put verse one. Oh, after six days, verse two. That was added later. It was added later so that way we could quickly get to points uh, for studying purposes, for dialogue purposes. If you didn't have verses, you didn't have chapters, Imagine trying to talk theology. You would be like, hey, yo, remember that one paragraph that said a cloud appeared overshadowing them? Yeah. I totally know what you're talking about. So we have chapters and we have verses. But <clears throat> sometimes we could get so focused on the chapter breaks and the verse breaks. And I don't know about you, but my Bible has headings. We can look at the headings and we can start like categorizing. Oh, this is one section. I have to read this. There's one section there. Um, these are meant, the Transfiguration and Peter's Confession are, are supposed to be read together within each other. The reason why is because verse 2 begins with, after six days, Jesus took Peter and James. It still has that ongoing feeling. It doesn't just go straight away to transfiguration. It says after six days. So the whole idea about Peter's confession and then Jesus telling them, take up your cross and follow me, is to be read in light of the transfiguration. So then, wow, that's a lot of backstory. But hey, let's go forward now into the text. So we have in chapter 9, verse 2, 
again, chapters and verses. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. With Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say since they were terrified. This whole section of Scripture, Jesus' transfiguration, has caused many theologians priorly to say some really stupid things about this verse. But they have the same motivation that Peter has. Peter sees this amazing sight, and he's terrified, and he feels like he has to say something. And so what does he say? Hey, let's build shelters. Shelters is essentially like a tabernacle. He's talking about an altar, something. Let's set something up for, for all three of you. And you say, wait a second. Why is this something stupid that he said? Like, that seems obvious. Well, the reason why is because what Peter has done is he has either elevated Moses and Elijah to the divine level of Jesus, or he has taken Jesus and he has lowered them to the earthly level of Elijah and Moses. That's the mistake that Peter is making at this point. And this is the mistake that many of us make when we approach this passage. We either deprive Jesus of his divinity or we elevate his divinity so much that we lose his humanity. This verse in of itself is to inspire awe in the reader. If we look throughout scripture, we find that the term for Jesus, son of God, is used at least 80 times. Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man 32 times. In Mark, 14 times. In Luke, 26 times. And 10 times in the uh, Gospel of John. So his humanity, when looking through the Gospels, is so evident. He is a human. He's flesh of flesh. He is one of us. But he's also divine. He's also God. And so Jesus has just talked about suffering. He has just talked about dying on the cross, saying, take up your cross and follow me because he's going to die. So yes, it, it, we were focusing on this very fleshly, this very human nature. Transfiguration is to remind us of his glory and who he is. Verse 7, a cloud appeared overshadowing them and a voice from the cloud, <clears throat> this is my beloved son. Listen to him. The disciples that are there, Peter, James, and John, are witnessing Christ in his divine glory. He shines. He's radiant. Um, other other uh, descriptions of angelic beings through beings. Oh, my gosh. Angelic beings throughout scripture are described in this way of white light, of brilliance. And that's Jesus at this point. 
they are drawn to the fact that this is God himself that they have been with. It is God himself they have been walking with. It is God himself that says, I am going to Jerusalem to die. It is God himself who had just previously told Peter, get behind me, Satan. This is God himself conceived in the flesh. They had been looking at him before as a great teacher. Peter thought that he could distract Jesus from going to Jerusalem. Oh, you're going to Jerusalem. Oh, that's cool. Let's not do that. He thinks that he has authority over him as an individual to an individual. But no, Jesus is revealing to them that he himself is God. A part, an excerpt from the Athanasius Creed reads like this when it gets to the part of Christ's nature. Now, this is the true faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's son, is both God and human equally. He is God from the essence of the father, begotten before time. And he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time. Completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the father as regards divinity, less than the father as regards humanity. Although he is God and human, yet Christ is not two but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one human is both rational, soul, and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. The Mount of Transfiguration experience, it draws us to this mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of Jesus' nature, that he is fully human, that he will go to Jerusalem and die. But he is fully God, fully God in that all that is made was made by him and through him. Fully God in that he was with God in the beginning Fully God and that all things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. That not one thing was created that has not been created. He is fully God and that in him is life and that life is the light of all. That light shines in the darkness and yet darkness has not overcome it. This is fully God who has come into the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He is fully God in that he came to his own. His own people did not receive him. He is God. Transfig the Mount of Transfiguration is to draw our attention to Christ who is elevated and raised up in brilliant glory. Let us not be like the disciples who think that they have to have something to say, who think that they have to give an answer. Peter is terrified in the light of this mystery, in the light of this wonder that's before his eyes. He can't believe it, so he has to say something. We don't have to say anything in light of this. We can simply rest in awe. The same awe that we have at a breathtaking sunset or when looking out over a mountain or when you try to comprehend the size of the ocean or its depths therein. When you look out to the heavens or when you look at the teeniest, tiniest microbes. When you think about looking through microscopes. 
when you, when you find that wonder, that amazement, whatever it is, sometimes it's good to just delight in awe. That is the Mount of Transfiguration, to delight in awe, to look before Christ in his divinity and his humanity. But Christ says to them, or it says in verse 8, Suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with him except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had arisen from the dead. They kept this word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead means. They had just seen Jesus glowing. And now he's already talking about death. God just spoke out of heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And what does Jesus tell them? Hey, I'm going to die. Yeah. That's quite the message we want to hear. Thankfully for us, we're not instructed as the disciples. We don't have the same type of thing binding us. Those disciples had to wait to tell about what they had seen on the mount after Christ died and after he had risen. Well, guess what? We're all on that other side. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Amen? We do not have to keep silent. We can share the good news that Christ is fully God and fully human, that he in his infinite love came took on flesh, lived as we lived, died the death we should have. And in his new life, we have new hope as well. This is a wonderful mystery. This is a wonderful saying. This is something that we can have hope in. So dearly beloved, as we prepare ourselves for the season of Lent, and as we allow the season of Lent to continue to prepare us for Good Friday and ultimately Resurrection Sunday. Let us as well use this opportunity to go to that mount to see the transfiguration of Christ. Let us wonder about Christ being fully God and fully human. Let us not feel that urge that the disciples felt to have to get it right, to have to have an answer, to do something. Peter was ready to do something with his hands. He was ready to build an altar right there. He wanted to build a, a, a temple. He wanted to build something. Let me do something. But that's not our right response. This upcoming season is all about the heart. Delight and, and wonder. Delight in absolute wonder over the goodness and the glory that is Christ's. So dearly beloved, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the giving of your son, Jesus. This wonderful mystery, may we be so absorbed in the, the knowledge of your mystery, but let us delight in awe. Let us be content to sit and see what is unraveling before us. Let us be content to just see Christ and wrapped in his, this mystery of both div divine and flesh. Protect us from being too rash. Protect us from our, the fear that we will have to have to get it right or do something. But may we content to be in awe and wonder. 
give us this grace for all of those who are watching and listening today. Fill us with awe and still our fear.